This is a case from the Shoyoloku. Vimalakirti's gate of non-duality. Introduction. Even if one's subtle function is universal, there is a place where one can't even begin to act. Even if one's eloquence is unhindered, there is a time when one can open up one's mouth. Longia was like handless men boxing. Jiashan made a tongueless man able to speak. Who is that that can extricate oneself midway? The case. Vimalakirti asked Manjushri, what is the Bodhisattva's method of entering non-duality? Manjushri said, according to my mind, in all things, no speech, no explanation, no direction, and no presentation, leaving behind all questions and answers. This is the way of entering non-duality. Then Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, we have all spoken. Now you should say, good man, what is the Bodhisattva's method of entering non-duality? Vimalakirti was silent. The verse. Vimalakirti inquires after the illness of the old Vaisalyan. The gate of non-duality opens. Behold the adept. Crude without, pure within. Who appreciates it? Forgetting before and losing after, don't sigh. Struggling to present the gem, the man with his feet cut off in the garden of Chu. Repaying with the jewel, shining bright, the cut snake of Sui. Stop checking. There are absolutely no flaws. Mundanity totally gone. That's still but a little. This practice is profoundly precious, unfathomable, inexhaustible, and at the same time, utterly simple and always within our reach. We are always with it, in it as it. And although it is always within our reach, our experiences often tell us or tell a different story. And we all know how common it is to fluctuate between moments of feeling expanded when things appear to be blissfully connected to long periods of contraction where we may feel inadequate, disconnected, stuck, heavy. Nagarjuna said once that wisdom is like a mass of fire. You can't enter from any direction. And right after that he added that wisdom is like a pool of clear water. You can enter from any direction. 
And the question is, what makes it appear as blocked or as wide open? Why do the challenges of our everyday life sometimes feel unbearable and at other times like a breeze? What makes the difference? We all experience that, right? Whether we practice or not, there are times that life feels amazing. There are times that it doesn't. And the answer boils down to whether or not we tap our inherent ability to recognize, inherent ability to recognize constant interconnectedness, unity. Always in the background of moments of sheer joy, and maybe periods of heaviness, stuckness. What makes the difference? Our fundamental nature is unity. And yet our habitual tendency is to divide, to quantify, to judge, to label, which of course leads to a sense of disconnectedness leads to a sense of disconnectedness. And that's why we speak and act in self-centered ways. Now we all know how it feels or what it is to be self-concerned in the way we are with ourselves, in the way we are with other people with our thoughts, with our emotions. I recently read an article about an ongoing debate over universal health care. And this article gave an example of a poll that was trying to discern whether or not people are in support of it. And the poll says it finds that there, are wide, there is a wide swing of support and opposition to the idea depending on how the question is asked. When people are told that Medicare for all would guarantee health insurance as a right for all Americans, support shoots up 71%. But then when people are told that the proposal would require most Americans to pay more in taxes, support plummets to just 37%. Of course, we want it, as long as it doesn't mean that I have to contribute. As long as I feel that it's taking away from me, then no. But if it's not, of course. Universal health care for all. But what is all? All is, for us, often the others, somewhere else. Right? Sometimes we feel connected, sometimes we feel disconnected. That depends. Yeah, I want everybody to have it, because we're all one. 
But let me look at how much will that affect my life. Another example that uh, some time ago, one of the parents at the kids' classes asked me if it would be okay if his child would only work with kids that are better than that child, so then this person's child will always be challenged, right, and get better. And I started by saying, I'll see what I can do. But then I, I expressed something, an issue with that. I said, well, imagine that everybody would want to work only with people that are better than them. We closed the shop because it's impossible, right? How do we, who is going to teach who? Right? So if everybody wants to work with other people that are better because they don't want to help others, then there's a big problem. And of course, these parents realized it on the spot and they said, oh yeah, that's a good point. It's just that we are so blindsided by our self-centeredness that we don't see that it actually makes no sense to function this way. It really makes no sense. And in a way, we all are hurting because of that. So I also explained that we are trying to, at the dojo, kids' classes, adult classes, we're trying to foster uh, an atmosphere of cooperation. And every time that we have tests, uh, promotion, belt testing, right after that I talk with the kids and I explain to them that as soon as they advance to the next level, they take on the responsibility to share what they know, what they acquire with those who are not at that level. That's the primary, most important aspect of moving on, being promoted, learning, studying, knowing something. How do I benefit others with it? Not what do I benefit from it. Or in other words, so we can say that by benefiting others, I benefit. That's the correct understanding. That's not true. But it doesn't come easy to us. It's it's quite strange that we actually have to work at it to realize unity, but also to realize how far removed our our thoughts and actions are from unity. All of us, to some degree or another. All of us. And our blindness lies in in not seeing that unity manifests through our unique individuality. It was not a process of homogenizing or making everybody look the same, feel the same, think the same. It is. We are unique. And our uniqueness by nature includes 
rather than excludes. So the uniqueness doesn't separate, although it appears, we appear differently. As we worked on last Sunday on the Sandokan, as we chant every Sunday. Right? And also we study that in Vimalakirti Sutra, which we did not have time to finish, and I did promise I would bring it up in a koan, in a teisho, hence this, today's teisho, today's koan. So the way out of our self-centeredness inevitably passes through a recognition of an alignment with non-duality, which is actually the primary teaching of the Vimalakirti Sutra. The short dialogue this, this Quran brings up is actually taken from chapter 9 in the Sutra, which you all read, I'm sure. And it is titled, Entering the Gate of Non-Duality. And I want to uh, read a little bit from that, uh, because at that, in that chapter, at that time, Vimalakirti said to the various bodhisattvas who were present, he asked them, how does the bodhisattva go about entering the gate of non-duality? And he wanted them to take turns in explaining. So I'm going to read some of the examples without getting into the name of each bodhisattva. The first one said, birth and extinction form a dualism. But since all dharmas are not born to begin with, they must now be without extinction. By grasping and learning to accept this truth of birthlessness, one enters the gate of non-duality. And the second one, I and mine form dualism. Because there is no I, there is no mine. But if there is no I, there will be no mine. Therefore, you enter the gate of non-duality. Perception and non-perception form a dualism. But if dharmas are not perceived, then there is nothing to take hold of. And because there is nothing to take hold of, there will be no grasping, no rejecting, no action, no volition. Four. Defilement and purity form a dualism. But if one sees into the true nature of defilement, it is without the marks of purity but leads into extinction of all marks. Hence, entering the gate of non-duality. Fifth, the stirring of the mind and thought, these two form dualism. Well, we all actually can attest to that. Right? As soon as the mind moves, heaven and earth are set infinitely apart as in the words of Dogen. But if the mind is not stirred, then there will be no thought. And if there's no thought, there'll be no discrimination. No discrimination entering the gate of non-duality. The fifth one. The unique in form and 
the formless constitute a dualism. But if one understands that the unique in form is in fact the formless, and then does not seize on the formless but sees all as equal, one may in that way enter the gate of non-duality. The sixth one. Good and not good form a dualism. But if one does not call up either good or not good, but enters into the realm of the formless and truly masters it, she enters the gate of non-duality. Next one. Blame and blessing form a dualism. But if one penetrates the true nature of blame, there is no different from blessing. It is one and the same. When one can dispose of forms with this diamond-like wisdom, neither bound nor liberated, neither bound nor liberated, one may in this way enter the gate of non-duality. The realm of birth and death, samsara, and that of nirvana form a dualism, meaning one in oppose, as opposed to the other. But if one sees the true nature of birth and death, one sees that, that there is no birth and death, or death, no binding, no unbinding, no birth, no extinction. Next one. I and not I form, or I and the other, form a dualism. But when one cannot grasp even I, how can one grasp the other? And this is actually what we do, right? We look at what is it that I call me? We observe. Every time we sit down, right? We, we practice zazen. We turn things around. What is this thing I call myself? Is there such a thing? Because if there is no such a thing then there is no other, as opposed to the one. It says, one who has seen into the true nature of I will no longer give rise to these two concepts and will enter the gate of non-duality. Enlightenment and ignorance form a duality, but the true nature of ignorance is none other than enlightenment. And enlightenment cannot be seized by is but is apart from all dwellings. In other words, where do you look for it? If not here. One dwells in the center, in the equality without dualism, and so enters the gate of non-dualism. And the last one I want to bring up is the true and the not true form a dualism. Not true and false. But one who sees truly cannot even see the true. So how can he seize the untrue? Why? Because they cannot be seen by the physical eye. Only the eye of wisdom can see. 
But for this eye of wisdom, there is no seeing and no not seeing. So then when the various bodhisattvas had finished one by one to give their explanation, they asked Manjushri, and this is where this koan begins. How then does the Bodhisattva enter the gate of non-duality? And Manjushri replies, and right there when it says Manjushri replies, the footnote in the koan says, should give him a punch in the mouth. By then, stop. Because that's the beginning of creation or creating dualities. And then he said, to my way of thinking, and the footnote says, he's bringing it up. That's how it begins. To my way of thinking. Or in other words, this is how I create duality. Or my unique way of creating duality. And he says, all dharmas are without words, without explanation, without objective, without cognition, removed from all questions and answers. In this way, one enters the way, the gate of non-duality. And the footnote says, what is duality? Where do you want to go? So then Manjushri said to Vimalakirti, each of us has given an explanation. Now it's your turn to speak. How does the Bodhisattva enter the gate of non-duality? And at that time, Vimalakirti remained silent, did not speak a word. And the footnote says, where did he go? So Manjushri sighed and said, excellent, excellent. Not a word, not a syllabus. This truly is to enter the gate of non-duality. So this is from the sutra, not from the Quran, that last line. So how do we see Vimalakirti's silence? How do we understand? How do we hear it? It's a roaring silence. All-inclusive. And we may interpret that as, or his response as, as if he's answering the question of non-duality with silence. But such interpretation, of course, is problematic because it's raising another duality right there. Sound versus silence. So all the other bodhisattvas spoke using sound, using words, using explanations. And he is standing on the other side of that. Duality, isn't it? Right back where we started. You don't enter non-duality by entering duality. And it is not what he's doing. In fact, he's not doing anything. He's not adding anything. 
know, all these great bodhisattvas, including Manjushri, they all give great explanations. Actually, it works. It's true. What they're saying is true. They're all shedding light on interconnectedness, oneness, non-duality. But by trying to point at non-duality, they create duality. As we say, they leave traces. You know, there's the sea turtles, right? Trying to cover up, uh, going to uh, hide the eggs somewhere by the beach. And on the way back to the water, to the ocean, they want to cover up their tracks so predators will not find the eggs. So then the tail moves right and left, right and left to smooth the sand so the tracks are no, no longer seen. But by trying to cover up tracks, they leave tracks of tail. That's a very uh, famous example in, in the Zen tradition of of our practice, actually, of making too much of our practice, of even calling ourselves Zen practitioners, even saying, I'm practicing. I read sutras, I chant, I bow. All of it is actually pointless. If we do it in this way, it's pointless. There are many ways to do it. There are many ways to act, function, be. A line from the commentary in this Quran says, the truth is mastered by spiritual knowledge, so the mouth is thereby silent. Tian Yi, a 10th century Chinese Zen master, successor of uh, Zredu, who actually compiled uh, this collection, commented on Vimalakirti's silence, saying, the chill light of the hair-blown soul shines from within the scabbard. Heretics and heavenly devils are all beheaded. He doesn't even have to take the sword out of the scabbard to chop off their heads. It shines from within. Because that's talking about the depth of his realization. But it's really talking about the power of wisdom. Which everybody is endowed with. Bayon, an 11th century Chinese Zen master, versifies this by saying, one, two, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. Those searching through the letters with bent fingers, the count is not completed. Stay for a while in front of the dark window. I'll figure and count with you again tomorrow. Beautiful poetry. 
absolutely to the point. Right? What do we do? We get busy looking, searching, counting, looking at words, searching through books, looking for the answers. But can we find the answer by raising more questions? Can we enter non-duality by creating more divisions? So what he's saying is sit down. Take a close look for a little while. See for yourself. Then you'll know how to move freely in the mud and how to function well in a world of differentiation. How to not create dualities. And how to do that when life fluctuates greatly. It is always simple. Take this morning, right? We lost an hour of sleep, right? Because they changed the clocks. Woke up feeling shortchanged, right? I want that hour back. Wait till the fall. You will get it back. But, you know, you wake up, five, six o'clock, right? I woke up at five. Yeah, of course, you wake up tired. Yeah, we wake up tired. And I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to be tired. But I was just talking to Taikan about that. I'm saying I don't want to be tired, but who's asking the question? Would you like to be tired or would you like to feel refreshed and awakened and had 10 hours of sleep? Right? That's the question we're answering, but there is no question because nobody is asking. Nobody is asking you. How would you like to feel right now? So why are we answering a question that does not exist? I don't like this. So, who says you have to like it? This is the good news, actually, because when we don't bring the one who is refreshed to meet the one who is tired, then the one who is tired is perfectly fine. Right? Just move in a tired way. It's a lot easier to function this way. It's a lot more beneficial to function this way. The verse says, Vimalakirti inquires after the illness of the old Vaisalyan. The gate of non-duality opens. Behold the adept, crude without, pure within, who appreciates it. And the footnote says, those with great eloquence are as if dumb. 
Then it says, next line, forgetting before and losing after, don't sigh. And the footnote says, those with great eloquence are as if stupid. That's the beautiful kind of stupid. You remember, right, that Maizumi Roshi was asked, what's the purpose of Zen? He said to become stupid. Oh, idiot, sorry. He said idiot. To be a perfect idiot. Why do you practice? To become an idiot. Or to be okay with being an idiot because I'm already an idiot. You choose. In Yongya's collection of meditation, that uh, text, it says, Now when I speak of knowing, you don't need to know knowing. Just know. That's all. Then before, you don't continue extinction, and after, you don't bring on production. The continuity of before and after is broken, and in between is solitary and alone, as all one. So the before is cut off, and the after is cut off. And then you enter the gate of non-duality. which is actually gateless. The one who wants something else is cut off from the one who is experiencing this. And then the one who experiences this realizes that the one who wanted something else never really existed. Yet, it has to be cut off. There's no way around that. Which means, there is a period of mourning and saying goodbye and letting go before we can realize that we're not saying goodbye to anything. But that's how it goes. So there is actually sadness before realization. Or maybe with realization. There is some sadness of, I'm no longer that. Well, who am I? The idiot. That one. St. <laughs> Sand, the third patriarch, and trust in mind said, trust in non-duality of mind. Non-duality results from trust in mind, beyond words and speech. It is neither past, present, or future. Trust in non-duality of mind. The next line from the, from the uh, verse says, Struggling to present the gem, the man with his feet cut off in the garden of Chu. I think some of you may remember that uh, from a while ago when I spoke about this story. This is in reference to a Chinese story about a guy named Bian who found a rough jewel in the valley of Mount Jing and presented it to, the king, to King Li, who was uh, the king at that time. The king looked at it and said that this is just an ordinary stone. 
And he was so offended by that, that the guy would just give him a stone, that he ordered his guards to cut off Bian's foot for being so disrespectful to a king. So then, when King Wu assumed the throne, Bian presented the jewel again, and as before, got the same reaction, lost the other foot. Finally, when King Wen was enthroned, Bian held up the jewel and cried out, I do not resent the amputation of my feet, but I do resent that a real jewel is taken to be an ordinary stone, and that an act of loyalty is taken to be a deception. King Wen took it to heart and asked his servants to split the stone, and indeed he found that it was a real jewel. And King Wen then grieved and said, how lamentable that the two former rulers found it easy to cut off a man's feet and found it hard to split a stone. Now it turned out to be a gem and a treasure to the nation. And this is really referring to Vimalakirti's silence. It's so easy to not see that it is a treasure, a gem, precious gem. It's so easy to negate it, to pass right by that. Okay, fine, I get that. It's being all Zen or whatever. So how lamentable that the two former rulers found it easy to cut off a man's feet. And it's lamentable that we find it so easy to chop up, to separate, to create duality. And find it difficult to sit down and look and see for ourselves that all is one. It is so available. But it does take some work, some practice, attention. And it does take going against the grain, too. And the next line says, repaying with the jewel, shining bright, the cut snake of Sui. And this is a reference to another story about the Marquis of Sui who, on the way to a feast, once saw a snake that was cut into two and was dying by the side of the road. So he cleaned it up, applied some special medicine to the cut and left. One night, he woke up by the bright light in his yard. Thinking it's a robber, he took the sword and went out, only to see that it was actually the snake he saved, holding a bright jewel in his mouth as a gift to the Marquis for saving his life. And this is, again, versifying Vimalakirti's Upaya, skillful means, of appearing as sick to save others. And it's raising the point that we are always given opportunities to heal others and to do good in whatever way we can. In this case, Vimalakirti appeared as sick to save us, to save everybody. Do we need to be saved? 
we think we do. And it says, stop checking. And the footnote says, fortunately, it is inherently complete of itself. Fortunately. There are absolutely no flaws. And the footnote says, go ahead, try to point out any. Mundanity totally gone. And that's still but a little. And the footnote to that says, looking at people on the basis of appearance, this is lost time. And we, are, we are drunk on the liquor of duality. And what's sad about it is that most, in most times, most cases, we don't even know that we are drunk. We don't even know that we, in a way, have to create more dualities to sustain us, to sustain separate sense of existence. We have to. Because when we stop creating dualities, we actually feel as if we lose ourselves, or sense of self. And it's true. We do. If we stop arguing with ourselves, with others, stop defending, we lose ground. We don't know what to stand on. And that's good. It's what we want to do. If we are to experience some sense of freedom, it has to pass through that challenge. And this is good. This is what we practice, how we practice, why we practice. Thank you.